Good morning, ECCC. Uh, I hate it that Stacy and I are not able to be with you today. We are out of town ministering uh, to another congregation today, helping them out with their homecoming services. Um, and I'm really bummed because a, a good friend of mine is, is going to be in the pulpit today. Patrick Glasser's getting ready to share the word with you here in just a moment. And a lot of you know Patrick from when he was here at ECCC. And a lot of you don't know Patrick because you're new to the church and, and you haven't been around uh, in the past to, to know, get to know him. But Patrick was our youth minister for 11 years. Uh, when I came in 05, uh, we worked together uh, across the hall from one another. Uh, we laughed together, fantasy football together, played basketball together, um, and uh, shared a lot of heartache together. Uh, and it's just very rare to be able to work with someone in the ministry like that for 11 years. Uh, the average lifespan of a youth minister in one church is a year and a half. And the average lifespan of a senior minister in one church is, is three years. So for us to be able to work together for 11 years is an incredible blessing. It's a gift from God, and I'm very thankful for it. Uh, it's just been awesome to see his family grow to see Abby continue to do what she does. She absolutely loves missions and she is working with the Haitian mission program now and, and uh, is doing a great job with that. To see Anderson grow like he has grown is incredible. He's just a young man now uh, to see how tall he is and to hear him talk, uh, it, it, his voice is changing, it's just crazy. Uh, and then Lionel. Uh, to come in and be a part of the family as well. I, I just hate it. I can't be here with you to experience this. I'll watch it a little later online, but uh, I am beyond excited for Patrick Glasser to have this opportunity uh, to bring the Word of God to the family here at East Columbus Christian Church. So would you please make welcome my friend, my brother in Christ, Patrick Glasser. was not expecting that. All right. Well, he took the first part of my sermon as I was going to introduce myself, but uh, uh, so maybe you'll get out of here a little early. But uh, it is great to be here with you uh, this morning. And as Ron said, I have uh, many of you uh, may know me, many of you may not. Um, <clears throat> after my time serving here at East Columbus as youth minister, I uh, moved on and served for uh, just over four years uh, as the senior pastor at uh, Nashville Christian Church over in Brown County, uh, Indiana, and uh, was there till last September. Uh, right now, currently, I am teaching here at the school, and I am loving it. Um, I am teaching the middle school uh, Bible and middle school gym, and the and the senior high and the uh, senior class Bible as well. Uh, and it has been uh, a blessing, and I love being here and being able to do that. It's also given me an opportunity to, to preach other places on the weekends. Um, over the last several months, my, my family and I have been back attending here, and a couple people today is like, where have you been the last couple? And I have literally have had the opportunity to go and preach at other churches, and that has been great uh, as well. Uh, Ron introduced uh, my family to you, but I have a picture here that I always share when I go preach somewhere. Um, of our family, and uh, my wife, Abby, and I have been married for 17 years, and then uh, my son, Anderson, was seven when we left here uh, in 2016, uh, and now he's uh, 12, about to be a teenager next year, 
Uh, and then our son, Lionel, who we got in January, a five-year-old spitfire um, who uh, keeps, us, keeps us on our toes. Uh, and so uh, that is a little bit about me. Uh, one of the things that I love about Scripture is these words that were written thousands of years ago have implications on our life today. It allows us here today in 2021 to look into our lives and uh, be able to uh, look deep into our lives, deep into our hearts, and, and it allows us to see where we are in our walk with God. And at times it can be encouraging, at times it can be hard because it stretches us, and it can be painful in those moments. And to be completely transparent, those are tough moments if they last into seasons when God is stretching us and can be absolutely no fun. But one of the things that I've learned about those times is if you allow yourself to be stretched, if you allow yourself to be broken down, you can grow and you can come into a much better place than you were before. This sermon I'm going to share with you this morning has come from the last 15 months of my life and my ministry experience. It comes out of a season where I needed to be refreshed. I was beaten down. I had doubts. I had questions. I, I questioned whether what God wanted to do in my life, how God wanted to use me, if he still wanted to use me in his, in his kingdom. And through those dark moments and through the moments of tears and questions and doubts, I was, God was doing some major work in my life. There were tough moments, there were some serious doubts, there was a lot of questions, a lot of fist shaking at God, and, and, and there was good conversations I had with, 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 with Abby, with my family, with, with mentors of mine, uh, many prayers, but as I see where I'm at now, I see God's hand on it all. And even in those tough times, and even in those tough moments, I realized that God was doing work and God refreshed me. And that's where this title comes from, being refreshed, being made new, being, being made better. You think about if you're on a, uh, on a website and you're waiting for something to be refreshed and you're trying to get the, web, the website to load up on your phone and you scroll down and this, the circle spins and you're just waiting for it to be refreshed so you can see what is new. This is where this is coming from, to be made new, to be refreshed, to be redone. And it is my prayer this morning that God refreshes our spirits and our hearts with our time here together. And so as we start, I want to ask you a question. It's not a question of raise your hand or where you're going to have to answer, but I want you to think in your mind, what is the biggest regret you have in your life? What is one thing you wish that you could do over? And some of you know the answer right away. It pops in your mind and, and you say, okay, this is it. For others of you, there's a file that you're kind of digging through right now and kind of filing your way through thinking, okay, there's a lot to choose from, but eventually you're going to figure out what that one regret is as we talk this morning. And no matter how long it takes you to pick out that one regret, there's one word that tends to bring all of our regrets together, no matter where we are, no matter what our regrets are, no matter how long ago they were. I read a story once about some stu students from Strayer University, an online school, and they went to a park in New York City, and they set out this huge whiteboard, and at the top of the whiteboard, they wrote, write your biggest regret, and then they left the whiteboard there for, for a couple days, 
uh, or for, for a day, and they left some markers there. And at the end of the day, they came back, and they started to read all of the answers that were recorded on the whiteboard. Here are some of them. Not speaking up. Not being a more attentive husband. Not spending more time with my family. Not staying in my comfort zone. Not saving for retirement. Uh, by the way, this is not just one person. This was a lot of people that were writing this, uh, writing this down, different colors of ink and all of that. And, and so they say, not saying I love you. Not saying I'm sorry. Not saying no. Not giving him or her another chance. Not asking for help sooner. Not applying for med school. Not being a better friend. Not making a move. But as you went through that, and as you think of the regrets in, in your life, there is one word that kept popping up, and I don't know if you caught it, but that one word is the word not. All of these people look back at a moment in their life, and you thought of a moment in your life where you didn't do something that you wish you would have. And regrets tend to be about opportunities not seized, about chances not taken, about words not spoken, and about decisions not made. This morning, if you have your Bibles or you use the, your Bible app, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5 this morning as we take a look uh, in Luke chapter 5. This is at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. And Jesus uh, has developed this reputation of being a, a powerful teacher, of being, um, a, a, of being this, this leader, and, and, and he has yet to call his disciples, and this is at a moment where he's getting ready to call those disciples to follow him over the next few years of his ministry. And, and at this point in Luke chapter 5, Jesus is preaching by the Sea of Galilee. Uh, some uh, here, uh, in tr some translations call it the Lake of Genesaret, but it's the same body of water. And, and Jesus is preaching here on the shore, and, and, and there are so many people that are, that are gathering around. They're having a hard time hearing him. So I want to pick up the first couple verses in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. These fishermen had been fishing all night. They're cleaning their nets, they're putting their gear away, they're ready to call it a day and head on home and, 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 and ready to relax. And Jesus sees all that's going on. But there were a couple boats that were left there on the shore. We continue reading in verse 3. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowd from there. Jesus really doesn't ask about hopping into the boat. He just... He just climbs into the boat, and at this time, Simon, who we will later learn is the disciple Peter, uh, it, him and Jesus have already developed a relationship, already developed a friendship. One of the reasons they know each other is because Jesus had already healed Simon's mother-in-law. Now, I'm not sure if that's what brought them together, uh, but, they, but they have a relationship with one another, and so they know each other, and, and, and so Jesus knows that this is Simon's boat. And so Jesus sits down in the boat and he uses the natural acoustics of the water so that people can hear him. And as the crowd is gathering larger and larger, verse 4, we continue. When he, had, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. 
if you don't know anything about Peter throughout Scripture, um, he is the type A of all type A personalities. He's one of those people, you are going to know what he is thinking. Sometimes, you, you're, sometimes people are really good at hiding what they're thinking, hiding what they're feeling, and, and it's, they have a really good poker face. Peter does not. Peter, Peter will verbally say what he's thinking. Peter, you can tell by his body language you know what he's thinking. And, and at this point, I have to believe with Peter's personality, with who he is, at this point he had to be thinking, hey, Jesus, listen, you leave the fishing to me, and I'll leave the teaching to you. You stay in your lane, Jesus. I, I'll stay over here in my lane. You know about teaching. You know about carpentry. You focus on that, and I will focus on the fishing. You talk to people about building things. You talk to people about how they can change their life. I'll talk to people on how to fish, and I'll get my fishermen where they need to be. Basically, say, basically thinking, Jesus, I like you, but don't interfere with my job. You know what? We do the same thing today, whether we admit it or not. We say, you know what, Jesus, I, I, I like you when I go to church on Sunday or, or maybe when I'm on my way to church on Sunday. But don't interfere with my life during the week. Jesus, I like what you have to say, but, but, but don't interfere with, with, with how I spend my money. Jesus, I like what you have to say, and I know what you're trying to tell me, but don't interfere with my entertainment choices. Jesus, you are great, but I don't need any over help over here. I know what I'm doing. I know my life. I know who I am. And so Peter is asked by Jesus to go deep into the water. And in verse 5, Peter says, Master, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And when Peter says master there and there's that, that comma, I don't know how long that pause was. If it was a frustrated pause, if it was a confused pause, if it was an exasperated pause. But I'm, I'm sure Peter's hoping that Jesus will say, you know what? You've been working all night. You've tried fishing. You've done everything that you've you could. You didn't catch anything. You've got to be exhausted why don't you why don't you go on home so we read in verses six and seven this time their nets were so full of fish they began to tear a shout for help brought their partners in the other boat and soon both boats were filled with fish on the verge of sinking they took on so many fish that both boats could not contain the weight of all the fish that they caught. And, and at this point, for guys who, who, whose livelihood was to catch fish, for guys whose job was to get fish, I cannot imagine the joy and excitement that these guys had experienced. They had fished all night, and they, they hadn't caught a thing. And now they, here they are in the morning at, at not the best time to fish, which we'll get here to in just a minute. And now they have a fishing story that they could tell the rest of their lives about how many fish they caught. I mean, when, if you have ever been fishing, you know how exciting it is to tell someone about the fish that you've caught. Uh, both of my boys like fishing to an extent. Uh, Anderson's birthday in 2020, he got a fishing pole for his birthday in May. And what, during the pandemic, that was probably the best gift you could give an 11-year-old boy, a fishing pole, not a whole lot else to do. But that first summer, where we live in Nashville, at the bottom of our road is a lake. And so we went down fishing quite a bit that spring and summer. 
and the poor kid never caught a thing. And he would get very discouraged. He would not want to go fishing anymore. And then so, um, but we tried to encourage him to fish. Fast forward uh, to uh, this last uh, this last May. I was actually out of town. I was actually at Josh and Diana Imley's wedding in Tennessee. But as I was coming back into town, the boy Abby and the boys were at a family cookout. And as I was coming back in, I decided to stop. It was on my way through as I was going through Columbus as I was heading back to Nashville. I decided to stop and see if they were still there, and they were. I no sooner park the car and get out of it, and both boys come running up to me. Uh, they don't ask how my weekend was. They didn't tell me how much they miss me. But they both wanted to let me know that they both caught their first fish. And they were so excited, and they wanted me to see a picture that was on, was on Abby's phone. They were excited to tell me about it. And I have to imagine, this is the excitement maybe on a much greater level that these disciples had as all of these fish are covering these two boats. Peter and his friends had not caught anything all night. They worked hard all night. They had nothing to show for it, and that was a problem. Imagine in your job, imagine at, at your, where you work, if you work for hours and hours and hours and hours, and you have nothing to show for it. How discouraging that could be. How disappointed that is. These guys were fishermen, and they were at a point of discouragement as the, nights, as the night is, is over, but then suddenly Jesus comes, and suddenly there is a reason to celebrate. And we talk about being refreshed. There's a few steps. And the first step is this in being refreshed. Jesus is a difference maker. Unless they had gone through the disappointment of not catching any fish all through the night, what Jesus was able to do, the deliverance he was able to bring, would have not meant that much. I think back in my life over the last 15 months, the disappointments, the heartache, the brokenness that I have felt, where I'm at today, I would not be able to celebrate as much if I did not go through those hard times, if I did not go through those hard conversations, if I did not have to go through those difficult moments. But because Jesus has brought them through, they have reason to celebrate. Because there was disappointment, because there was discouragement, because they were at the right place at the right time to meet Jesus, they were able to experience this kind of blessing. They appreciated it a whole lot differently than they would have than if they would have just caught all the fish that first night. And so many times in our lives, those valleys, those dark moments, those times when we're in the boat, and the waves are crashing, and we don't want to be there, those are the moments, and during, over the last several months, I learned to hate this word at times, but those are the moments where God is refining us. And when you refine something, it's being worked on. It's being molded. It's being stretched. And unless you go through those times, unless you go through those moments, it's hard to be able to understand. It's hard to be able to celebrate. It's hard to be able to appreciate the difference that Jesus makes. They recognized the power differently because they had tried it their own way and it didn't work. They fished the way they knew how to fish. They were fishing where they thought they needed to fish. They had attempted everything they could. 
and it, it, it just wasn't working out for him. But then Jesus comes along, and Jesus says, hey, why don't you go out here? Why don't you go out at this time? Why don't you drop your nets and look at the difference that Jesus makes? And I've already given a little background to who Peter is, and one of the things I think of when we see at the life of Peter not just here in Luke chapter 5 on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, but on a larger scale as you look at him throughout the Gospels, as you look at what he did in the book of Acts as the church started to explode and grow. It is very simple that through Peter's life we see that this time doesn't have to be like the last time. And this is something a lot of us need to hear. Today, this time doesn't have to be like the last time. Just because you've tried something and it hasn't worked before, you've tried over and over and over again, you throw your nets out over and over. These guys threw their nets out constantly. We're not ready. We're not able to catch any fish. Maybe they were at a point where they didn't even want to throw their nets out anymore because they haven't caught anything. And maybe you feel like that at times. You don't feel like throwing your nets out. You get to a point in your life where you say, you know what, this is just going to be like the last time. If I failed before, I'm going to fail now. I'm not going to worry about doing anything different because this time is just going to be like the last time. And so we quit. We put our hands up and say, I'm done. And we could be one more throw away from experiencing God's blessing. We could be one more step away from experiencing what God has for us, and we may never know that if we don't continue to try, if we let what happened last time keep us from moving forward. And I think that if Peter were here this morning, this is the message that he would tell us. He would say, whatever has happened, that regret in your life, that, that thing that you wish you could take back, whatever has happened before, it doesn't. the next time doesn't have to be like that because Jesus is a difference maker. Because, see, here's the thing. It's still Peter. It's still the fishermen. It's still the same boats that they were in. It was still the same nets that they were using. It's still the same body of water. If anything, it's worse conditions because Jesus sends them out in the morning where there's heat and they go deeper out into the water. But the difference is that Jesus is there with them. Jesus makes all the difference. And maybe you've had some ideas on what you wanted to do differently in the past, some areas where you wanted to turn things around and, and make things a little bit better. But thinking about here in Luke 5, my question to you, has Jesus been with you in the boat? Have you allowed Jesus to be there in the boat with you? That's the determining factor. Maybe you've put your time in and you've tried to better yourself. You've tried uh, to change some things in your life. But the difference is that you've tried it on your own. And there are four words here in this story in Luke chapter 5 that make the difference with Jesus being there. And the four words Peter speaks to Jesus and the four words are because you say so. Jesus says, go out deep. Go out even further. Cast your nets. Throw your nets down. Peter's like, Jesus, we've been working at this all night. Basically saying, Jesus, I don't think this is a good idea. Jesus, if you ask me, I don't think it's going to work. If I were in charge, Jesus, this is not what I would do. I'm going to go. I'm, he's probably thinking, I, I'm going to go on record as saying I'm against this. But because you say so, I'll do it. When Peter says that, when Peter says, because you say so, it's like saying, it's not what I feel like doing, 
Jesus, it's not what I want to do. It's not the right thing in my mind. It's not what I logically think I should do, but because you say so. And see, this is hard for us. It's hard for us as adults. It's hard for us as as children because we want to know why. Our youngest son, Leonel, his favorite letter or favorite word or favorite question is why. Everything. Leonel, time to take a shower. Why? Leonel, wash your hands for dinner. Why? I mean, and it, it, I mean, it is, and at first we thought, okay, he's just curious, he wants to know the culture difference and everything of that, and I don't know now if it's out of habit, or if he realizes it's a game to him, or I, I don't know, but I do know he's one of the most curious kids I've ever been around, and so he always is asking why. And at first we would try to answer and reason and explain to him, but now our go-to answer is because the favorite phrase from any parent or grandparent, because I say so. Which is usually followed up with a grunt or a why again. He doesn't like because I say so. He wants an answer. He wants a reason. As humans, we want answers. We want reasons. We are curious. See, it would be nice if this story would have unfolded this way, if when Jesus told Peter and the fishermen to go back out, if, they, if Jesus would have said to Peter, hey, Peter, listen, I know you're tired. I know you've been working all night. I know you're exhausted. I know you just cleaned your nets, and I know you just put them away. I know you don't want to do this. But if you take me out into the water, if you take me out deep, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to cause your boats to overflow with fish. Your nets are going to break because there are so many fish. If you do this for me and if you're obedient, here's how I'm going to bless you. That'd be nice because we would know at what, what is going to happen. But sometimes not knowing is a blessing. Even in those hard moments. Even in those moments where you are totally caught off guard by a, a statement. If you are totally caught off guard by what somebody tells you. And in and, and a moment's notice, your life is turned upside down by a diagnosis or a decision at work or a relationship with a friend or a loved one. If you would have known about it beforehand, you wouldn't have went to that conversation. You wouldn't have went to that appointment. You wouldn't have went to that meeting. And sometimes not knowing could be the best thing. Because sometimes, though, the other part of us says, okay, Jesus, I'm willing to make decisions. I'm willing to make concessions in my life about, you can fill in the blank. Maybe you say, I'm willing to do things differently at work. I'm willing to be a better husband or wife. I'm willing to be a better uh, dad or mom. I'm willing to be a better neighbor. I'm willing to do things differently, Jesus. But in order for me to do this, Jesus, I'm going to need you to put in writing exactly what you're going to do for me. What, what's in it for me? I just need to know that if I do this, then you're going to do some things for me. I need to know what it's going to look like. I need some kind of guarantee of the blessing that's coming. Because I don't want to go through the, the valley. I don't want to go through the refinement. I don't want to go through the storm. But yet, this is not how this whole thing works. See, it is obedience and then blessing. It is faith, and it's not easy to do. Peter may have thought that Jesus knew nothing about fishing, but yet 
Peter was still willing to obey Jesus, even if he didn't think Jesus knew what was best, even when he was tired, even when he didn't understand. And Peter learns that Jesus knows everything about anything. All honesty, Jesus didn't need Peter's boat to go out and teach. Jesus could have easily walked out into the water, stood on the water, and taught to the crowds there. He didn't need Peter's boat. And Peter's going to learn just how much Jesus knows. But sometimes we forget that. We forget exactly how much Jesus knows, and so we try to do things on our own. We try to do things by ourselves, and we don't fully trust him. We think we know better than Jesus. We question because from our perspective, it doesn't make sense what Jesus is asking us to do. It doesn't make sense where Jesus is leading us. But perhaps Peter was worried about what people on the shore would think of him. It doesn't reflect well on a trained fisherman, a guy who does this for a living, that he's going back out at the wrong time of day in the wrong location to fish because some carpenter tells him to. But what Peter finds out is that Jesus knows. Jesus knows. Jesus knows more about you than you know about yourself. He knows more about your job than you do. He knows more about your spouse than you do. He knows more about your children and grandchildren than you do. Jesus knows more about you than anyone else. And because he does, we can utter, and maybe at times we say it very slowly or we say it with hesitation, but we can utter those four words that Peter said, because you say so. See, it's also very interesting that in verse 5, Jesus is called master by Peter. He doesn't say teacher. He doesn't say mentor. He doesn't say friend or consultant. He says master. And this is how Peter relates to Jesus. And this leads us to a second step in us being refreshed. Is that not only does, is Jesus a difference maker, but Jesus gives us freedom. Jesus gives us freedom because there is so much freedom when we accept Jesus as our Lord, when we accept Jesus as our master. And it's hard for us to get there. But if you can get there and you can fully release everything to Jesus, there is freedom in that. Because when you do that, that takes the pressure off of you deciding how you're going to live your life. It takes the pressure off you deciding what it is you're going to do. You're going to lean on to Jesus and follow his guidance, his direction, his word, his teaching. And we think that there's, we think that when we do things on our own, we have a lot of freedom in doing what we want to do, but not really. If you just do whatever you want to do, it's going to put a lot of pressure on yourself because you're going to have to continue to maintain that. It's going to create a lot of problems. If somebody says, for the next year, I'm going on a diet where I eat whatever I want, chances are it's probably not going to work out really well for them. There are people who say, I'm going to live how I want to live and do the things that I want to do, and, and they don't really care. They, they kind of live very selfishly, and we call them two-year-olds. That's what kids do. As followers of Jesus, this is not how we are to live our lives. It's a hard reality, but it doesn't work if you just live how you want to live. With Jesus, there, there is freedom. Think about it in this. In your place of work, if you have somebody above you, your boss, 
and your boss makes a decision about a project that you're going to do and, and, and you're really uncomfortable about it, you don't think it's a good idea, you can say, you know what? You'll do what you, I'll do what I've been asked to do. It's not my decision, it's his decision. He's the one that's going to have to answer. I'll just do the work that I need, I, need, I need to do. He's the one that makes the choice. There's freedom in that. You don't have to worry about that. There's somebody else who has to take the fall if it doesn't work out. There's freedom in submission. And it's the same way in our walk with Jesus. It's where we say, Jesus, because you say so in this area of my life, I'm going to submit. I may not want to. I may not think it's the best thing in my life. I may not understand it. It may not make a lot of sense to me. But Jesus, you're asking me to do it, so I will do it. And so my challenge for you as we talk about Jesus being the difference maker and Jesus being freedom is to start living with a spirit of submission, to start living a life of saying, Jesus, because you say so. We tend to look on our past with regrets and we've missed opportunities, things that we, uh, didn't, that things we didn't do we wish we would have. And maybe a lot of those regrets would be removed if with a simple commitment because you say so. See, God then begins to repair the damage of the past when we begin to submit our current decisions. When we last looked in Luke chapter 5, they were pulling in all the fish and it was taking over two different boats. And at some point, Peter just becomes overwhelmed with the significance of the moment. You look back in verse 8. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. In that moment, Peter falls at the feet of Jesus. Everywhere around in the boats is flopping around the evidence that Peter, uh, that Jesus did what Peter could not do. Everywhere he's surrounded by the evidence that what he tried to do on his own, he couldn't make happen. And Peter falls to his knees, and he repents, and he confesses. And in that repentance and confession, it unlocks this new future. He realizes that Jesus is freedom, and it leads him to his third step, because what happened is Jesus then restores. When we realize that Jesus is a difference maker, we see the difference he makes in our lives, we submit to him and realize the freedom that he has, then we go from there, and then we live a life of restoration. We see the repairs that Jesus can make. Jesus is going to invite Peter to be his disciple. Jesus is going to invite Peter on a journey over the next three years with him and then many years after. And it was this moment that I think Jesus was waiting for. Again, Jesus is all-knowing. Je Jesus could have just walked up and said, okay, Peter, I want you, I want you, I want you. Take the fisherman and said, I want you to come follow me. But I think that Jesus was waiting for this moment where Peter would acknowledge his place in this relationship, where Peter would acknowledge his unworthiness, his own sinfulness. And because he was able to do that, Jesus was able to unlock a new future, a new path, a new adventure. And it's the same thing in our lives when we repent, when we confess. It is a way of handing God the broken pieces in our lives, the way of taking what the world has done to us, and handing it over to Jesus and saying, here are the broken pieces. Here's my life. And what happens is, is when God picks up the pieces, 
he puts them back together. He repairs, he redeems, he restores, and he rebuilds. And that's what he does when we confess and repent. We give him those pieces. And that's what Peter did right here when he said, Jesus, I'm not worthy. Verses 10 and 11. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. And Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. That day, these guys started the day of fishermen, but they end the day of fishers of men. It's a new path. Some things have turned around. Jesus has made a difference. I want us now, as we know this, as we see that Peter's getting ready to go on this new adventure, I want us to fast forward to the end of Peter's life, or at the end of Jesus' ministry on earth. And at this point, Peter has become one of the most trusted disciples of Jesus, along with the other two that were with him that day, James and John. And, and Peter has had conversations with Jesus that the other disciples haven't, that he'd seen things that the other disciples hadn't. And here they are in the upper room having their last meal together. And in that moment, Peter vows to Jesus, Jesus, I will never leave you. I will never betray you, no matter what is going on, because Jesus has already told him somebody in this room is going to, 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 to turn away. And Peter's like, Jesus, it is not going to be me, no matter what happens, no matter what somebody does to me. I will never leave you. He makes this bold proclamation, type A personality bold proclamation. And then the night happens, and in the night before the rooster crows, Peter denies knowing Jesus three different times. He denies being a follower of Jesus. He swears on the penalty of hell that he's not a follower of Jesus, and the rooster crows, and in that moment, just like on the boat in the Sea of Galilee, Peter is broken. He realizes what he's done. And he realizes what he's done. And so he, what happens when we do that? We go back to something that makes us feel comfortable. And so Peter goes back out onto the lake, assuming that he's fired from his job as a disciple. He's like, I'm going back fishing. And he goes back to the Sea of Galilee. And as he's fishing on the Sea of Galilee, somebody on the shore, to 50 yards out, Peter can't make out who it is, but he hears a voice, and he hears the person on the shore shout out, Hey, you guys caught anything today? Peter shouts, and the guys shout back, No, thanks for asking. We haven't caught anything. The voice then says, Why don't you throw your nets on the other side? That's ridiculous. What is that going to do? Unless. And in that moment, hope starts to rise up in Peter. And so he frantically grabs the nets from one side of the boat and he tosses them over to the other side of the boat. And understanding the implications for the rest of his life. And the fish start jumping into the boat, in the net in that moment. And the nets begin to break. And Peter knows, Peter knows that that voice that says, move the nets from one side to the other, is yet again the voice of Jesus. And Peter cannot wait to get to the shore. So he gets out of the boat, he dives in, he swims to the shore. He comes out of the water, he's out of breath, he's dripping wet and 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 he's he's wanting to see jesus knowing that he had messed up and jesus looks at peter in a moment where peter is expecting the worst because he knew what he did and peter looks at jesus and and jesus looks at peter and says peter do you love me peter says lord you know i do 
A second time, Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. A third time, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. And then Jesus says, then feed my sheep. Just like in Luke 5, on the same shore, in the same body of water, Jesus is saying to Peter, your denials, your past does not disqualify you. What you have done does not determine your future. This time doesn't have to be like the last time. Peter, you are not beyond repair. I need you to give me all the pieces. I still have a plan for you. This is the same conversation that Jesus is wanting to have with us. Because we are just like Peter. We have followed Jesus. We have followed Jesus. We have been with Jesus. We've read with read his word, but then there are moments where we are like Peter that night, and we maybe turn our back on Jesus. Or maybe we've never even met Jesus to begin with, and Jesus wants to sit down with us and say the same thing. Your past does not disqualify you. What happened then doesn't have to determine what happens now. You are not beyond repair. And he wants us to see him as the difference maker, the freedom that he gives us and the restoration that he brings. And so we want to give you an opportunity this morning to put into practice what we've talked about, where you are obedient to what Jesus has asked of you. And for some of you, that first decision, that first act of obedience is surrendering your life to him and seeing the difference that he makes. You've tried to do life all on your own. You've tried to do things the way that you know how, but yet you keep falling short, you keep, your nets keep coming up empty. And maybe that decision is to surrender to him and to be baptized into him. You've put off being baptized because you don't want to get baptized or you don't really understand what it is. If that's a decision you need to make this morning, we want to invite you to do so. God wants each one of us to surrender to him. It's the reason that he sent Jesus to this earth. It's the reason that he met the disciples there in Luke 5 and said, come follow me. We say to Jesus, because you say so. So maybe you take a step over that line and surrender your life to Jesus and say, I'm ready to, to give my life to him. Maybe you're like Peter and you think that you, Jesus doesn't want anything to do with you because you are so messed up, you've given your life to him, and, and, and you are beyond repair. But Jesus is looking at you saying, you are not. And he's going to ask if you love me. And then he, when you do, he's going to say, then feed my sheep. Go and live your life to show others who I am. And maybe you need to straighten some things out in your life and, and you need somebody to pray with. Maybe you need to be a part of a church family that it lifts you up and encourages you and you want to place your church membership here. I'm, you can come down and talk with Kendall and he would be glad to do that and, and pray with you about that. But I want to encourage each one of us this morning as we leave this place, to think about the difference our lives would make if we look to Jesus and say, because you say so. Will you stand together and pray with me?